I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of the, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show. Um, we just watched Tar. Yeah, it was incredible. Oh, it was a really fantastic film. It was beautiful film. to watch. Yeah, Todd Field, is that the director? Mm-hmm. Um, so great. If you have not seen it yet, oh, highly recommend. Um, beautifully shot film. Um, and you are still in rehearsals for Audrey? Yes, we have one week of rehearsal this week, and we are into tech starting Sunday. Very exciting. Yep, it's going to be a very exciting show. If you uh, are in the DMV area and want to check out Nevermore, this week is your last chance. It closes the 6th of May, Um, so definitely go check that out. We want to thank our Patreon supporters on this show. We really appreciate you for all you do. And um, if you are, you know, considering becoming a Patreon, there's a link in the podcast notes. Check that out. Um, Today we are talking to Ford Deeth. Ford Deeth? Yes. Um, Or Ford DF. 40th. No, 40th. Um, yes. Uh, you know, I, it's so funny that Ford and I uh, toured Europe together. You'll hear a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very exciting to talk to him. Yeah. You, you kind of had that realization and remembrance in the podcast. Like, oh, yeah, we were in Europe. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. In 1985. Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. You hear me loud and clear? Absolutely. How about how about on my end? Yep. Like a dream. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Well, hi, welcome. I am sitting here with my husband and co-host Matt Connor. Hey, 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 boy. <laughs> hey Matt, how are you? Oh God, who cares? I I mean, obviously me, Matt. You know, we've got a lot to talk about. I know, man. I was thinking about this conversation. I was thinking about uh, being in Europe and uh, good morning. What was it? Good morning, Achenbachen. Oh, my freaking God. Remember that? The, 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 the fake radio show that was fueled by uh, lots and lots of, of German beer and... That's uh, right. We, not, we were, we were going to, I was trying to start Good Morning Achenbachen. That's right. That's exactly right. With Co- Corey and several other people. It was a, that, that was a fun, fun tour. Oh my God. Was Achenbachen a real city? <laughs> no, no, no. I think we were in, uh, where, the, where were we? 
Where were we? We were on the west side, Heidelberg, Heidelbronn. Yeah, but it was something like Achenbachen, but it wasn't that. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I had never really left the state of Virginia. And when I took that tour, is that the first time you'd been to Europe? Uh, I don't know what year that was. I mean, the first time I, I, I went to Europe with the choir in 91, 93, 95. And then I was out of college, but I was managing the choir and still singing and managed the tour in 97. So this must have been 90. I graduated in 97. So this may have been. I think this might have been 95. This might have been 95. Yeah, you're right. And that was the year I graduated. Yeah. And we went to Paris for like four days. Yep. L'Eglise de VA. That was the church where we sang, I believe. I remember one time Robert Schaefer threw a chair across a room and he said, God has perfect pitch. <laughs> that so- sounds like him. He, uh, yeah, he, he was a, 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 quite an interesting man. You know, I, I know that you know this, but you know, when you find people who have that severe amount of genius in them, um, I, I, don't, I can't even, I don't think that they can even handle like car alarms or like uh, no. on clocks. I agree. I didn't really get it until I was working with him pretty closely in that 97 tour. Well, basically it was... Uh, you know, he, I handled everything for the choir in 97 and I spent a lot of time with him, you know, and he, he, I had forgotten that he was in, he was in, do you remember this? I mean, he used to talk about it every once in a while. He was in Nadia Boulanger's last class and she, she was that uh, little old French lady who um, she taught Aaron Copeland and, you know, and a bunch of other very, very famous American and European uh, composers and musicians. And she was intense. Like, you know, she, I remember him telling me that she would say, you know, I need you to play the alto, uh, alto two part in the right hand and the, um, and the violin one on an open score of something, you know, and you got to play and he had to play it perfectly or, you know, she would like slap his knuckles or something. You know, stuff stuff like that. And he also told me a story about like he would. He, so th- this is what what you just said really resonated with me. He said he would hear like a five uh, five chord in his mind, and he'd be up and like trying to go to sleep, and he would have to come downstairs and resolve it on the piano before he could go to bed. Oh my gosh, that sounds like the opening of his film. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, of course, you know, like all of us growing up, I don't think I ever really understood a lot of that. But in hindsight, I now really do kind of miss those genius moments when you're in a room filled with people and you're singing a a choral piece and you really just become this, uh, I don't know, this resounding, vibrating energy that feels like you're just closer to God. I, I agree with you. You know, I, I we were kids. You know, we didn't think uh, that we didn't think about it at the time. And I certainly was partying a lot and, uh, you know, and playing lacrosse and 
doing a bunch of other things. But, you know, I, w- I was ill-prepared for a music conservatory. I did not know any theory. I couldn't play the piano. Like I, 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 it was, it was, it was interesting on many levels. I could sing and that was about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was spending so much time trying to figure out who I was that everything else was just kind of secondary. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Yeah. But, but I didn't know who I was, even though I knew who I was, I was still trying to figure out my place in the world and, in my own skills and my own, you know, friends and whatnot. And I, got there i didn't know anything about you know traveling to europe and next thing you know when the choir went to europe i'm like blown away by the fact that a part you know that the world even exists outside of winchester right right well and I, i'd never been to europe i mean so many so much of the, the the many of the things that we saw i'd only seen in textbooks you know and they didn't have the internet yet either so it was just uh astounding but i i've I've thought about this over the last say 25 years and and that is is that when we were in it i didn't really think about how that we were we were really performing and singing at a pretty high level yeah and but but we were and i've i have thought about it a number of times since then i i you know I've, i've been uh I just retired a year ago from being a church musician. I was a church musician for, I was the bass section leader for Dr. Cooksey for <clears throat> four years at, in, at St. James in Leesburg. And that's where I really, I, mean, I learned a lot doing that because it was, uh, there was a, a lot with that. They, that's Dr. Cooksey from SU. Yeah, from Shenandoah. Yeah. And, it, and then I moved back to New Orleans in 97 and got a job like within two days being a bass section leader at this large Methodist church. And I just retired last year, 25 years. That's crazy. Of doing that. But I, I think about those ex- from singing with uh, other classically trained people. Like I just, just didn't think about it at the time. But we were doing some pretty amazing things. I, I don't remember if that was the year, if that, that tour, we went to St. Blasian and they, uh, all of these people had, you know, everybody really wanted to, you know, part of our, part of our, um, part of our concert were, were like, you know, Talis Ty Tavner, Palestrina, you know, Madrigals, Motet, stuff like that. The other part were, were all the American spirituals and people in Europe, like that was like crack. Yeah to them and so they would bring bring people who were sick and people in like gurneys and wheelchairs and and fill up all the venues that we went to and it was it was pretty special you know i have 95 downstairs completely on this little uh cassette that i recorded the whole trip really yeah, it goes through all of our little walks to to uh, uh, Stuttgart and us taking, um, I, I think, a couple of concerts. I remember our our one German, I think, uh, tour guide was named Wolfgang. Yeah. And hey, did we do together the the War Requiem at the Candy Center? We did. We did the War Requiem. That was now, uh, that was that's something, and you know that one. The you're talking about the Britain War Requiem, right? Yeah, I'm still trying to get my certificate. Yeah, me too. But I mean, <laughs> but it, it, I, I think about that a lot because it won a Grammy in 2000. Yeah, and once again, 
that experience when I when I would be in the choir singing it, I knew that we were doing something beyond. But I felt like in my immaturity, I could not allow myself to honor it. Yeah, I understand what exactly what you're saying, and I, I think for me. I felt like this was an opportunity that I, I would have never had. I, I, I mean, I, I, it was just, it's strange how I even ended up at Shenandoah, but that, uh, <clears throat> but that to have that kind of opportunity, you know, looking around and listening and all of the rehearsals and uh, at the, the national symphony orchestra and all of the big soloists, like, and the Kennedy center, like it was a big, deal it was the it was the what the that was the 50th anniversary of the end of world war ii yeah yeah things that now i look back on and go oh my god you dumb shit why didn't you like open your eyes and at least like inhale a couple of times to be present well and uh, to be honest though matt like i think we we still we were kids i'm i'm a little bit older than you i believe but that i mean i still feel like i we were still in our formation mode and, you know, boys, I, I'm, I'm a teacher. So, but boys, they, they assimilate at different rates and sometimes it's 13 and sometimes it's 30. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you thinking why, why didn't I sort of wake up and smell the coffee? But, you know, we, we were in the middle of doing about a million other things. I was trying to find out who I was too. And, you know, also, we, we, I don't, again, I don't think we realized it at the time, but the, the, the music that we were singing, Brittany is some of the hardest music in the world. Yeah. You know, and so when we were just doing it. Yeah. And I think Robert Schaefer um, may have been one of the brightest musicians that have ever worked with in an intimate capacity like that. Yeah, I I agree. I totally now agree. I have had a lot of other stu uh, other teachers that were um, just as smart academically, but there was something that was beyond academic with him that became a sort of in tune intuition that was beyond uh, uh, a textbook. Well, he's one of those people like you know like who has this innate god-given ability and then through years of practice and experience and hard work and being pushed and being conditioned to be this one particular way he got even better than he was and, and he started out at a place where most people can't ever even get to yeah were you ever part of his group in washington I wasn't, uh, I mean, only when we sang, it used to be called the Oratorio Society. Right. So when we sang with them, it's called something else now, but the... Um, you would do we, stuff together. We did, every year I was in choir, we did uh, We did, did this huge, this piece is not done very often, my first year in conservatory choir by William Walton called Belshazzar's Feast. And it's huge. And that we did that at the Kennedy Center and rehearsed with them. And uh, we did the, the Berlioz Requiem twice. 
and uh, and then the Britain War Requiem. Those were those were huge things, and we did a couple of things that uh, I think you might have been there. The the Dumbarton Oaks concert series in Georgetown. Yep. In, in the spring. Yep. You know the, those were those were all amazing experiences that I, I, I wouldn't have had any anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for where, let's go back. Let's go back to, through time. Where, are, where were you born? <laughs> uh, I was born at, I was born at a really small uh, army hospital on an army hospital in uh, called Fort Polk in Louisiana. Um, in 1971, it's in, it's in a town called Leesville, Louisiana. My so, dad, my dad was in the, uh, in the JAG Corps during Vietnam. Oh, wow. So he actually fought in the, in Vietnam. No, he didn't. He didn't up, end up having to go. In fact, he, right when he got the way my mom t- told the story was that the, he, they needed him here because he had just become, he had just graduated from law school. And they needed him in the JAG Corps, and so he was really um, doing a lot of lot of stuff here. Uh, but that he had been trained as a linguist. Oh wow! So he, to to speak Vietnamese, and was ready to go over at any given time, and then then was going to be sent over, and was right at the end of the war, and then the war ended. What's what's the JAG Corps? That's the the. Um, that's the division of the army that uh, the where they have a uh, it's like the legal division. Ah, so they ha- have a lot of uh, that's where all the the lawyers are. Ah, in, in that particular uh, realm. Well, I hate to break it to you, but since you just announced your birth date, <laughs> I am actually older than you. Are you? Because I started at SU at the age of 23. Oh, I always thought I was older than you. So, so by the time I graduated, I was 27. Well, I, I thought I was older because I was 23. Yeah. No, I started school there really late because I had gone to a, um, several other uh, things before that. And um, the, conservatory did, the conservatory didn't call me until later in life. Well, that's all right. See, um, you had you had me fooled. I thought you were a lot younger. I thought you were five years younger than I am. Nah, that was probably my my um, moisturizer. <laughs> um, so, so then, so you're born in Louisiana, right? Do you stay in Louisiana? Uh, yeah. We, I, I, my, uh, after the war's over, my dad moved. We moved to New Orleans. That's where my dad, and my mom grew up. I'm the only one in my family not born here in New Orleans. And um, we, my dad was with the U.S. Attorney's Office and, and practiced law and for uh, like the better part of 50 years. My mom was a kindergarten teacher for 31 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so, but it, it, uh, for summer, many summers, we would go to Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina. And I just kind of felt like that was where I wanted to try to go to college. So I, I auditioned for uh, North Carolina School of the Arts, um, uh, a couple of other schools in North Carolina and Virginia, and um, and uh, in 1988, 
think it was 88, I auditioned for actually for, for Michael Forrest, um, who was uh, Mr. Sheets was on sabbatical. And I auditioned for Michael Forrest in his absence, in Mr. Sheets's absence, and got um, accepted into Shenandoah for wow. the fall. So you were you were in Sheets's studio, but Michael was had taken it over. Well, and that that's just who auditioned me. I was originally in Doctor Sargent's studio, ah. but, but Mr. Sheets was my advisor, and so it it ended up just making sense for me to to switch over. Yeah. And he and I were, we were, we were pretty close. I was so far from home. It was, uh, he was very, I don't know, very comforting and, um, uh, and extremely talented. He got the best out of me too. Yeah. Well, I remember you being sort of a very open vessel when it come to, uh, doing things. You seem like you were everyone's friend. Uh, you never met a stranger, and it seemed like whatever you did, you just kind of like put your heart into it. How did the lacrosse thing happen? Man, that's that's a weird thing, Matt. It's so so interesting because there was no lacrosse in Louisiana at all. And uh, but when I they Shenandoah got uh, like they decided they were going to have a Division three lacrosse program. My I think it was my third year. And at Shenandoah, and um, they needed bodies. They needed people who had played other sports. And they were asking, you know, anybody who played soccer or football or you know had ever played lacrosse to to come out and play. And so um, my my roommate was Josh Walters, who also had been in the conservatory, and he had played lacrosse in high school. And so we both. Uh, we both went out for the team and started playing. Uh, and I, I, I actually, I felt like I was a, I was not a great football player in high school, but I, I was, a, I feel like I was a better lacrosse player. And it, it's been one of those life sports for me. I still play. I just came from a game where I was coaching uh, like an hour and a half ago. Wow. Um, and so it's been, it's been something that I picked, you know, that I was exposed to in college and uh, it's kind of helped me, in a sort of Johnny Appleseed, if you will, capacity, because I've I've helped programs all over Louisiana start uh, start start up, and uh, you know some of the kids that were in those first programs they're in their thirties now. Wow! And so it's it's kind of fun, but I I I got to, I had two years of eligibility. I played. I was a second string goalie and. Uh, 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 okay, I felt like it was okay, and that was the, that was the, the infancy of the program. Um, but they uh, they they do well, and they um, they certainly have. I mean, I'm sure you have you been to the field house and over there and to the stadium and all that Chantel Stadium. We haven't been there, have we, Stephen? We've been there since the stadium, but I don't think we we ventured over there to the stadium, did we? We did not. No, no, we were, like, we were like, oh my gosh, we don't belong here no more. <laughs> I know, it's uh that whole that whole area where we used to drink beer down by the stream under eighty one. Like yeah, that's, that's a that's a road now to the stadium. Wow. Well, you know, it's so funny to me. Uh, I I always looked at the arts very much like the um, there's a very fine line between the arts and being an athlete because they take such discipline 
and passion in both things in a physical and a mental sort of way. Um, there, there's a strategy, there's, a, I don't know, there's just something similar about, you know, when you're a vocalist, you have to keep yourself in a very sort of, you know, uh, you have to think of yourself physically. So I've always thought that being a, an athlete and being the arts is kind of almost the same discipline. No, I agree. I mean, it takes a level of dedication. I don't know that I had, I think I was just doing, you know, I wasn't really thinking about it. I certainly could have put more time in practicing for lacrosse or in the, you know, in the rehearsal rooms, but I didn't do either. I certainly, uh, you know, threw a lot of parties and went to a lot of parties and, you know, I, I enjoyed my time at, at, at Shenandoah. I kind of, you know, I kind of figured out who I was, you know, there too. I learned, I learned a lot being so far away from home. I learned really how to, you know, um, I learned some great crafts and I, but I also learned how to negotiate and deal with people and meet people who I never would have met. I kind of grew up in a little bubble. I went to a a, a small uh, independent school uh, outside, right outside of New Orleans, and um, your high school. My my well, I went there for thirteen years, kindergarten through twelfth grade. Oh, so hallelujah! I, I was with a lot of the same people. Like I didn't, I didn't know anybody else really other than those people. So it was, it was. I look back on my time going to Shenandoah. Like, it was very good for me. Yeah, and I, um, I, I enjoyed meeting meeting new people being with new people um and uh, i think it was uh i think it was a key part of just my maturity and formation as a person yeah no i totally agree um did you live on campus the entire time or were you sometimes did you move eventually off campus i i did i moved off i like so I, I mean i was in school for a long time and I was trying to figure it out. I changed my major three times. Like I, I was trying to figure it all out, you know, Matt. But uh, I, uh, so I was on campus for several years, and then I was off campus uh, for three years. And um, I, I had I had a little a little apartment. I don't know if you remember my friend Willis Reap. He played basketball. And, oh yeah. And so we we lived in a little tiny little apartment by the um, by the RC Cola plant. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah over there. And then then I lived with Josh and Meredith in what uh, uh, that little uh, these townhouses on Emily Lane um, uh, near the Greenwood Fire Station. I lived there. Oh my god! And then, then Josh and I lived in downtown Winchester on Cameron Street, which I loved that house. I wish I, wish I could buy it or had bought it at some point. But uh, that that was my last year. Wow! I just want to cut in real quick and say that when you said that place by the stream under eighty one where we used to drink beer, really took me back because I forgot all about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, it was a thing. It was yeah, a thing. We, it was under that under the Shenandoah sign that was right there, uh, posted on 81. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was mean, never. I was never there. Oh, I was. 
Well, they, I mean, and people used to go up there and smoke and, uh, you know, and all kinds of shit and have parties. And I mean, when I first went to Shenandoah, the hill behind Parker, like it was a real hill. Like the, the obviously that field wasn't there. People would ski down it and sled down it and, uh, and go, uh, go over there and everybody would party over there right underneath 81. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Yep. Now, did you ever do um, musicals? I did. I did. I, did uh, I was in some operas. It was in Candide, but I was also in uh, Paint Your Wagon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which was hilarious. It was with like Kevin Walker and uh, and Craig. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? And I think T- Tamara was in it. And Dr. Albert was in it. Oh my gosh. And uh, uh, I mean, a whole bunch of people. It was, it, it was so much fun to do that show. I did Deflator Mouse. Um, I, I'm trying to think all the shows. Uh, so I was in a, in a few shows. Yeah, you know, I only did one opera and that was directed by Edry. I did um, The Medium. Huh. With Jahana in the lead of that, and I played the mute person that gets shot. <laughs> the mute person that gets shot. Yeah, I so of course that. I would find myself in an opera where I don't sing, I just emoting. And getting shot. Yeah, and get shot. Nice. So when you were at Shenandoah, did you have a game plan? Uh, for what you where you wanted to go? Was there like I got to go here? Most people say, "Oh, I'm moving to New York City. I'm going to go to Broadway." Well, so I, I originally I was going to be, you know, I thought I would be a, a a voice performance major, which I was for several years. But I realized that all of the theory, I mean, like voice performance majors, they have to take more theory than than um. Uh, than than some of the instrumental majors and some of the uh, uh, co- composition majors. Like I was gonna have to take formal analysis and an 18th century counterpoint, and like I, I could barely get through freshman and sophomore theory. So uh, I ended up changing my major, changed it to music education, but then it changed it for good to arts management, which was great uh, because it it really uh, set me up to be able to understand nonprofits and work in or for a nonprofit. And that's kind of what I've been doing in schools. Uh, you know, gave you some marketing and advertising and uh, working with budgets and, uh, and it, it was great. And I had, I already had all of the um, conservatory, all the music portion of it. I just needed to work on the business things and it allowed me to keep singing in conservatory choir too. Yeah, Which was great. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I often thought about doing some sort of business thing uh, along my journeys because it feels like if you don't get some sort of business insight, no matter what you're doing, you kind of leave wondering what the business side is. And um, it's just very helpful. Now, did you have to take any pedagogy? Um, I I. I did want one class. So it was like uh, basic music, whatever it was, music pedagogy. Because isn't that a class about how to teach the class? It is. It yeah. is. 
but I, I didn't stay an education major very long. Yeah. So, um, it, it, I really, um, I don't know. I, I, I thought for a while, you know, that I would be a uh, voice performance, you know, and be in voice performance. But I realized that although I was a pretty strong singer and, and I think a leader, you know, I was the uh, president of the conservatory choir and, uh, you know, and, and did a whole bunch of things or tried to lead and help and serve and, and all of those sorts of things in the roles that I had. Um, I was probably a better choral singer than I would ever be a soloist, even though I have been a soloist. But yeah, I mean, I think of like Corey. Right. Or, or Vera. Yeah. You know, as as soloists, which they are. And uh, so it was you know, it was good for me to be able to 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 realize that uh, right after I graduated, Mr. Schaefer wanted me to get in the stagehands union. And that would have been. I would have taken my life in a totally different way, but it would have been pretty interesting because I know that's very difficult to get into there. And he huh. had, he kind of had uh, some thoughts about the Kennedy Center and the Stagehands Union at the Kennedy Center. But I really, I always, I always work with kids. I, even uh, every summer when I was in, in college, and beyond I, I worked in summer camps uh and then you know i started working on my um my mba right in the fall of 95 after i graduated and i did that for about three days and uh, i said this is just not for me and i got a job at grafton and i kind of fell in love with it was a very unique i mean you know about Grafton. It was just a, a unique. Yeah, Grafton there in Winchester. Yeah, over in Berryville. You know, I think my aunt, Diane, still works there. Oh, really? She worked there, I think, maybe in the cafeteria for a long time. Well, I was there. I was there for, um, for a couple of years from 95 to 97. But I really fell in love with that, um, which you know, it, it's a, a not your typical school or residential situation to work in. And I really fell in love with the population of kids who really didn't, most of them didn't have anyone. Yeah. So that, um, that really pushed me, you know, uh, almost immediately I began, when I moved back to New Orleans, I began working on my, um, uh, getting certified and uh, as it was a dual program and getting a master's in special education. And so, and, I, and then I, I started teaching immediately in 97 and then I've been, a, you know, a teacher and administrator and a school counselor and a coach and uh, been working in schools ever since, but I, I've probably been working with kids uh, since about 1988 Wow. You know, you, you actually start to, I'm speaking for both of us, you actually start to kind of see your other teachers or our teachers in your teaching of the, um, the students because you start to realize how important the mentorship really is for someone who may not get a chance to hear this, but Ford's going to tell you right now, or Mr. Matt's going to tell you right now, this is the way it is, guys. 
Right. And it's a really cool, you know, Stephen Sondheim, you know, once said, and you probably know this, said, after you learn, you teach. Right. And that's really hard to digest at first when you think, what do you mean I'm going to be a teacher? Right. But that's really true about like so much, even beyond teaching academic stuff, it's also like very powerful, inspirational life skills, how to love, how to respect, all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Executive coaching, executive functioning, and and, and, uh, modeling for people. You know, a lot of it's about building trust. Yeah. You know, if a kid, a student, a kid trusts you, then then they're going to they're really going to just give it all up over to you and let you show them and tell them everything they need to know. And yeah. they're going to they're going to and they're, they're just going to soak it all in. But, it, they, you know, I, I said this actually uh, not too long ago, but like I'm a huge I think I said this yesterday in a meeting, but like I, I, don't, I don't know if it you'll whatever find a bigger you know, a child advocate than I. Uh, but in many times, you know, I, these days I have fewer patients for adults and I have uh, patients all day long for kids. And would, you know, sometimes um, enjoy my time better with kids than with adults because they always, you know, they're, they're always interested in something. Yeah, some aspect of what you're saying or what you're doing, especially if you have that relationship with them. Yeah, and the, and the truth and the authenticity that comes out of kids' questions and comments and reactions is completely just that. It's the truth. Yeah, and they, you know, you get to see that they see their personalities and see where that you know almost where where they're headed in life. And, you know, and so I don't think they do that all the time for everyone. But uh, I feel like, you know, I've been a teacher my entire adult life and and an administrator. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm a supporter of teachers and, uh, you know, putting people, kids, families, other teachers in the most successful situations possible. And it's very uh, it, it feels good to be able to do that. I now have have some experience doing it. Yeah, I, you know, I always tell my parent, I I teach a lot of private piano here at the house. And the first thing I tell a parent is I want to talk to you on the phone. And I want you to know that I am actually the student in the classroom learning how to teach with whatever window of um window they have to learn because we all learn in different ways and I will not teach one student the same as the next. Uh, I like that. Because I know for myself even us being at the conservatory all of us had had and have such different ways of learning. It's like expecting all of these different apps on your phone to all of a sudden start talking. Like all of us have different programs and Sometimes the window's there to learn. Sometimes it's not. Some of us learn visually. Some of us learn by listening. You know, we all just have these different, unique ways. But when we're in school, we're kind of treated like we're all the same. Well, yes. And so that way of teaching 
you know, 250 years ago and a hundred years ago, you know, it's, it, it sort of has to change. Yeah. You know, it, not everybody learns some, some will from lecture and note taking, but you know, that I, I, I've experienced and you probably do too, kid, all these different kids that learn in all these different ways, all the different multiple intelligences, Howard Gardner and all that stuff. But I mean, you know, I will teach something, the same skill, 10 different ways until, until everybody gets it. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Uh, if, I have to, if I have to dance, yeah, you know, whatever it is, I, I, I'll do it to make sure you get it. Well, I had, I had a student here last week who was playing the piano and he just wasn't having a very fun time. And I could see he wasn't reading the book. And I just stopped. His dad was sitting here with us and I said, Hey, can can we be friends for a second? Can you be honest with me? Are you are you really frustrated with reading? Because let me tell you, I'm talking about myself, Mr. Matt. I sometimes when I'm reading, my mind wanders, which makes it difficult. I really have to tell myself, hey, pay attention. You're reading. Pay attention to what you're reading, because otherwise you're going to start thinking about something else. And uh, I really can have that. I really start to have those kind of mental conversations with my kids like hey how are you are you reading this book you want to do something different and so i've got like i don't know five or six different avenues i kind of veer around if someone doesn't like to read the book i'll say okay let's throw that out and let's just take do start learning chord progressions on the piano or whatever um but just that openness of allowing yourself to listen to the the kids you know, and I, I, I've gotten a lot of mileage off because I, I think I probably had, an, uh, you know, they didn't diagnose uh, learning disabilities and differences when, when we were kids, but that uh, I recognize now that I did. So I've gotten a lot of mileage off, uh, you know, of, of telling kids my experiences and experiences with my own children and parents, too. And I think that that's uh, the people. Yeah. Well, so you you now currently live in New Orleans. Yeah, Meredith and I live right outside of New Orleans in a place called River Ridge, it's kind of near the airport in New Orleans. But yeah, it's basically New Orleans. Oh, nice. And you've been there since? I moved uh, 97. Wow. So you've been there a while. Yep. And... Um, I guess you guys have now seen, I mean, the worst destruction of a couple of hurricanes, right? Yeah, we, you know, in the time we've been together, it's been, it's been, you know, interesting. We were here for, uh, I mean, we weren't here during Hurricane Katrina, but we had, I think, been married a year when Hurricane Katrina happened. And so uh, that was, that was, you know, kind of life changing. For everybody, and then, uh, uh, and I mean, that was big. Hurricane Ida was last year, and that was really big too. It did not affect us like Hurricane Katrina did, but that, um, but it it really, there are a lot of people still suffering from Hurricane Ida here. And, um, but I mean, Hurricane Katrina, it, it seemed to go on and on and on and on for us for you know for for years and years and and it did you know we we had eight and a half feet of water in our house uh lost a car 
uh, lived in a FEMA trailer, lived with my parents, lived in a house, a rental house. You know, we, we were kind of like nomads, but so many people were, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it, that, that's an interesting story in and of itself, but, um, yeah. So, but, but we, um, um, we made, made it through all of that. That was, like I said, the first year of our marriage. And, uh, oh, I have to ask you when we were on the podcast with your lovely and amazing wife, Meredith, sure. I happened to mention this house where Stephen help me out here, where this French maybe name woman, like maybe killed Marie Laveau. I think it's Marie Laveau. No, that's the voodoo queen. Um, uh, uh, Delphine. Uh, is it Pontalba? No, it's um, it's one of Del the Delphine. La no, I'm confused. One of things. the one of the American horrors was were based on this story and was set in New Orleans. Anyway, yeah. you know it's so interesting. I've never seen New Orleans, but of course I love history and I love architecture. And when um, you kind of look at the French Quarter and go, oh my gosh, we should go there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool. Um, and that, that American horror story that was set in New Orleans was, most of it was filmed in Anne Rice's former house that she owned, which had been an all-girls school. And they, they're these very, very exclusive condos now. Oh, wow. And, uh, in, in uptown New Orleans, right off, right off of St. Charles Avenue on Napoleon Avenue. And uh, not far from the river, and uh, and and it, it, it's cool. Like, it was this really old girls' school. Stevens got uh, it. What is it? Uh, her name was Delphine Laliori. Um, and what's the address? Uh, I will. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> as if, as if Ford is the the historian of the town. Um, I, I know a little history. Eleven thirty-eight Royal Street, New Orleans. Okay, so that was probably down. That was probably downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we, uh, you know, we've never seen Mardi Gras, and of course, I just saw all those pictures of Meredith this year, and I was like, "Oh my God, what am I doing? Not taking part in this celebration?" Yeah, Matt, why don't y'all come down for for Mardi Gras next year? Like, it's it's a lot of a, a lot of fun. I can't imagine any high school or any community theater or any regional theater hanging out their little shingle that says um, hairspray tonight, eight o'clock. And like the whole, the whole town is like, oh, it's Mardi Gras. I don't think anyone's going to go see hairspray at your show, at your school. I mean, maybe it doesn't work like that, but it certainly does look like that from the outside. Sure. Well, I mean, all of the schools in New Orleans are off basically for a whole week during Mardi Gras. Really? Yeah. So no one is even in school. Wow. Wow. We were off, I think, from the Friday before Mardi Gras week. Yeah. Um, we were off that Friday because that's a big that's a big parade day and the city's kind of locked up. And so a lot of people take that Friday off anyway. And then the whole next week, you know, which encompasses uh, Lundi Gras, which is Monday, uh, Mardi Gras, which is Tuesday. And then, then of course, Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, the day after. Yeah. You know, we I saw that Meredith, of course, had gone to the uh, alumni weekend this past weekend. 
And a couple of people had reached out to us to see if we were coming. And as you know, I had to work. I could have maybe taken the, uh, I could have taken off in some weird way, but at the same time, I've got some things coming up where I can't take off and I didn't want to take off because I have to take off for these other things. And it just became this whole logistical nightmare. And we literally are an hour and 15 minutes, you know, from the school. Where are y'all? Uh, we are, in, we are two exits from the Pentagon in Arlington. Oh, okay. So we, we can get into the city in about six minutes if, if we, if we drive 70. Right. Nice. Um, yeah, we live right beside Washington. Um, but um, so what's on the horizon for anything coming up? Any vacations? Are you going to um, put a new porch on the house? Uh, <laughs> We're we uh, we would like to. And we have no storage here. And Ida. I'd have destroyed some stuff in our backyard, including our shed. So we're, uh, we are, we'd like to build a garage. And, um, and so that's kind of what we're thinking about. If we had the opportunity to put in a pool, we might do that too. But uh, other than that, we're, we got some big transitions here on the horizon. I just got a new job. Uh, with a school where I was before, uh, about nine years ago, the uh, Christian Brothers School, and um, so I'll be there, and my twins are going to be going to school uh, there on the City Park campus at Christian Brothers next fall, and my son, my oldest son, is going to be going to Jesuit, which is just a couple blocks away, and so we, uh, we're going to spend the summer kind of getting acclimated and, uh, and ready and excited for the fall. You guys have twins? No, my, I have uh, my my boys are twins. My nine year olds are, are twins. Oh my gosh! You know I'm a twin. I think I remember now that you say that. I think I remember you telling me that. Yeah, they're not. They're they're not identical. Yeah, we're not identical either. Everyone always says y'all have that special mojo, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. But you you won't be moving from your address. You're just no. moving your job. No, not at all. Uh, just, yeah. just, just, just moving jobs, and uh, so that's really a, it's, a, it's an exciting time for us. It's uh, so. What, what what is your digital go to when you want to just kind of hang out, um, either with you and the family, or are you alone? Do you do you go on TV and and look at this program? Do you have a record player like we do in our corner that currently is has Jesus Christ Superstar? Because Holy Week, we always listen to yeah. Superstar. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I, I if you're asking me about music that I listen to, uh, listen to, I listen to Pandora uh, a lot and um, a whole bunch of different things. I have kind of eclectic taste. So, um, you know, sometimes I find myself listening to the Berlioz Requiem and sometimes I find myself listening to Cypress Hill. Um, you know what we should do? We should for we should figure out a way to go national with a cause that figure out a way for us to bring one of the choirs back together from SU for like one kick-ass requiem. I mean, that would be awesome to do could something. Could you imagine? That, I mean, well, you could do it like something for charity. You know, I think everybody would pay, I think everyone would pay. Uh, fifty bucks 
to come together and do one of the requiems again. I you think know, I still know my part. You, I, I mean, I, I think I know the the uh, I think I know my part in the Berlioz really well. I think I was like Iris Dire. Um, but you know, you were talking about having to work and stuff. I was upset a couple years ago because uh, they had that that thing for Bob Schaefer. Yeah. Did you you go to it? No, I'm the worst because you know we're in we we all go to school so we can get these jobs, and then everyone expects us to leave our jobs. I know. I mean, I'm the same way. I could I just couldn't get away, and I really wanted to, and I, I regret not doing it now. Uh, but I, I didn't do it either, but it would have been, it would have been nice because, uh, everybody got, came together and sang Shenandoah. Oh, of course. And that would have been nice. And that was also another song that we would always sing on tour, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was, I mean, that was, that was huge. That arrangement that Schaefer did. I'm going to try, you know what? I'm going to try to pull out that VCR tape and I'm going to take it to one of those, like, I don't know back alley basement VHR VHS TV shops and that turn things like that into like are they back alley? Are they really back alley? Well you know what I mean. I mean someplace I, I, I see the ads for the legacy box. Yeah. Company, yeah. You know? Send them your high eight and they'll put it in the put it on the cloud or some shit. Yeah, maybe I could do that because that'd be kind of fun to share with everybody. Yeah. It might be scary. It could be scary. I do remember one thing I should not have done, and that was <laughs> there was one guy on one of our Germany tours that sort of kept kind of saying negative things about Americans. Right. And he kept saying something like, you know, well, this church was really beautiful until America bombed it or something like Dude, that. Dude, I, I think I was with you. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I get it, dude. I, I know that we're, we shouldn't, like bomb shrines and whatnot but wait wait wait. there's a much bigger discussion here yeah and i think me and chuck Pugh behind his back started calling him schmittler yeah uh i mean chuck chuck and i stayed on that tour we we somehow just chuck and i got put with a really old german couple they spoke zero english but chuck spoke perfect german yeah and, uh, you know, and I think that was something that I, I discovered on that trip was that a lot of many of the older German people had that feeling about the, the allies. Yeah. That, that they had kind of destroyed their history and their architecture and their land. Yeah. They were very bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Which is totally, a, a, I'm sure, a valid discussion. Like, I don't want to ever come across like I'm from Virginia and I know what I'm always talking about because I'm sure being over there is a whole different feeling of a different window into the discussion. But there was some other shit going on, too. It wasn't like it was a random bombing. Right. Right. Clearly. Right. 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 There, right. Right. There were some other things happening. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember showing this videotape of Germany to a friend of mine who was from Germany. And immediately, immediately when that started to happen, this like Schmittler thing on, on the tape, I was like mortified, like, oh, okay, here I am in, in another country acting like some sort of American tourist. And whether it's funny or not, you know, so I was like, oh, there we go, Matt, that's great. Well, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and 
say that I'm, I'm glad they didn't have camera phones and things like <laughs> that. And there are about uh, uh, 10 things I did a day when I was 18 to 25 that I, uh, I'm glad aren't, uh, on, on, aren't it, memorialized. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm just going to say before we go that I think there still is a chance that Good Morning Achenbachen could happen. Could happen. I'm not. I'm not going to throw it away yet because me and Stephen in this living room are still. We're not done with our creative ideas. <laughs> Listen, that show, The Morning Show, is really big right now. So this is I just agree. the German spinoff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I I went up. Uh, I was up in. Uh, at Shenandoah this fall, uh, they Lee, the St. James Episcopal Church in Leesburg celebrated Cooksey's 40, 40 years of Cooksey being there. Wow. And so Michael Forrest and Corey and me and Brian Welsh, all these Shenandoah, Heather Shreves, Mandy, Sweet, uh, all, all these former uh, section leaders... And then a lot of younger people, I didn't know who the hell they were. Uh, but, I mean, all these section leaders from Shenandoah all came back together to to sing for this huge, amazing concert for Cooksey. And I got to talk to Corey. I hadn't talked to Corey in, you know, I don't know, 25, 26 years. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it, so it was, it was kind of cool. Wow. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Ford. We had a great time. I know Matt loved all the remembrances of the Europe trip. Yes, much love to you. Um, and we, uh, again, thank our Patreon supporters on here. Um, thanks for all you do. And if you want to join Patreon, you can find the link in the podcast notes. There's also a Discord. If you want to say hello to your alum, uh, share pictures that you don't want on, you know, normal social media where your mom's there. Um, nothing blue, mind you, but, uh, you know, just fun pictures that, you know, not everyone likes their pictures from the past on the, uh, normal platforms I hear. Um... You can find us and find out more about us at www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify if you have not yet. It really helps us out a lot. Um, share it where you share things. Post it where you post things. Um, other than that, uh, I, I think that's that's it. We uh, there's, Matt has a busy week coming up. I have a busy couple of weeks, but... We've still uh, got some shows for you coming up. We still are trying to schedule kind of a last round of folks coming up soon, but uh, more on that soon. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.